Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This is Life and Art. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. Molly Roden Winter was a stay-at-home mom in an affluent Brooklyn neighborhood called Park Slope when she found herself attracted to a younger man. This man was not her husband, but the guy who was, Stuart, urged her to go for it. So the two opened their marriage. Thus began a journey of exploration that is now a best-selling book called More, Memoir of an Open Marriage. More has been seemingly everywhere, reviewed in The New Yorker, in The New York Times, in The FT, and others. It also drew my attention because the idea this book is based on feels like it's been everywhere, too. In the last few years, open relationships and polyamory have been discussed all over television. They're on magazine covers, on TikTok, on podcasts, and our team here wanted to know more. <laughs> so today, Molly's with us in the studio uh, to talk about her book and about her experience uh, with an open polyamorous marriage through its ups and downs. Molly, hi. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. So your book it felt like it was structured around a f- number of themes, but the two that really stood out to me were one, the sort of adventures and misadventures of the relationships that mm-hmm. you're in. And the other is your own path toward what I read as self-trust or self-fulfillment. Um, could you set the scene for what was going on in your life, maybe to start uh, at the time that the book opens? Yeah, sure. So in 2008, I, you know, I was briefly a stay-at-home mom. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. I, I had been teaching full-time and then when my my youngest had some um, needs for some various therapies and things of that sort. And so I, I was staying home for a couple of years and it was really not for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but um, basically, uh, I was home with the kids again and my husband, who writes music for television and sometimes would have, you know, late calls with L.A. or, you know, all sorts of reasons why he had to work late at the time, was coming home after the kids were in bed again. And I was just done. I <laughs> marched out of my house and ended up getting dragged to a bar by someone I ran into on the streets of Park Slope. Mm-hmm. And I had a very new experience. I saw this guy who was the friend of my friend and I felt something, you know, just kind of spark to life inside of myself. And it surprised me more than anyone else, I would say. It actually didn't surprise my husband, but it surprised (laughs) me. Um, And we had talked about maybe having non-monogamy, although we didn't use that term. We didn't even use the term open marriage. I thought of it as a big experiment mm-hmm. um, and something that I would never really want to do. So I was shocked when I had this feeling like, oh, here's a person that I might want to 
pursue mm-hmm. outside of my marriage. Yeah. I gave an attempt to describe the book. I'm curious how you describe the book. What is the book about? Yeah, no, that's a great question. The book is about my first 10 years in open marriage, but it is also about what I learned about myself along the way. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, my kids were three and six. Now they're 19 and almost 22. Yeah. Um, So I've kind of, you know, come out on the other side. But I think for a lot of women, you're not really prepared in some ways for what motherhood means in terms of your own identity. I think I felt like I had been reduced to a role mm-hmm. and there was something in me that was just not being fed and I didn't know what it was. Yeah. I, I'm i conscious that, um, that, you know, you're not on to like represent <laughs> open marriages or poly- polyamory. I mean, you're telling them it's a memoir and you're memoir, telling your right. story. <laughs> uh, but I also am conscious that one, I don't want to misrepresent what polyamory means and two, um, I want to give people who don't know much about this sort of a sense of the spectrum of it. Sure. Could you help sort of just give us a sense of what the spectrum is that polyamory means? Like, what does it include? Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you my hot take. Um, Polyamory, you know, in and of itself really just means many loves. So Mm -hmm. when we started, I did not have polyamory even as a goal. Um, In fact, one of my early rules was no falling in love. I did not want my husband to love someone else. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be dangerous if I fell in love with someone else. But within polyamory, um, you can talk about open marriage, which is when there is a really primary partnership. Some polyamory purists would say that's not real polyamory because it's not (laughs) egalitarian enough, right? There's Mm -hmm. too hierarchical. Um, There's also swinging, which people would also say is not polyamorous because it's heavy on the sex and love is not an objective either. Ethical non-monogamy is a term that's bandied about. So, you know, I I think language is always going to fall short of um, what is actually happening in the world. But I... I sometimes use consensual non-monogamy, but it's all a mouthful, right? CNM. (laughs) So open marriage really describes my marriage and my situation the best, which is why that's the the term I put on my title, Mm -hmm. my subtitle. But now I would say I am polyamorous. I do have more than one person that I love in intimate relationships, and so does my husband. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, like your book reminded me that opening up a marriage has been going on probably since the beginning of marriage. Um, It reminded me of hearing Dan Savage, the sex columnist, talk about this idea of monogamish, Mm -hmm. you know, almost 15 years ago, and the idea of swinging and the idea of wife swapping and open affairs. They've just, it's, it's, it's not new. It's like the terminology is new and the way that we talk about it is new, but it's in many ways not. And yet when I was reading it, I found myself still feeling sort of old fashioned about some of it Mm -hmm. partially because I was sort of reading you, dealing with jealousy, uh, watching you sort of like crying. There's a lot of negotiating that happens with your husband, Mm -hmm. um, some sexual experiences that don't seem great at all. Not great at Um, all. It somehow feels like the harder path to take. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm curious sort of why you decided to keep going. Yeah, I kept going for a couple of reasons. One was I was getting really curious about myself. Mm -hmm. I was just getting these clues, these little whiffs of truth. Um, And part of that was therapy, you know, and just I there was there was something there under the surface of it all 
that I knew was important. Mm -hmm. Um, I start with a quote. There's, you know, in my the beginning of the book, an Audre Lorde quote where she says, the erotic is the nurturer of all our deepest knowledge. So that was part of it. And then another part of it was having my mother. So spoiler alert, my parents also had, you know, an open marriage and I didn't know about it until I was 28. But I had my mother as a confidant and somebody that I could talk to, which is, you know, usually if you're thinking about sleeping with someone who's not your husband. Your mother's not the person no, you go to. No, <laughs> like the yeah. only two people I told for a while were my husband and my mother. Right. And that's really unusual. But my mother was there for me to ask and say, you know, do you think I'm going to blow up my marriage if I pursue this? And she was like, oh, honey, no, no, it's (laughs) fine. You know, not negating my feelings or my fear because she validated that. But um, I also think it's true that painful episodes often do teach us things. And often we don't choose those painful moments. This time there was a mix of pain and thrill. Right. Um, But I I persevered for those reasons that I felt like there was something waiting for me on the other side. Mm-hmm. And you felt that there. And I has do been. absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm where I'm reaping the rewards rather than paying my dues. <laughs> yeah, I think listeners might feel like, wow, that's so much time, like this many years before reaping the benefits. And maybe it wouldn't be the same for you. And it's also possible that it was going to take me. 10 years of therapy to figure out some things I needed to figure out whether or not I was not monogamous. You know, there's just no way of knowing. Mm -hmm. So I don't have regret. I'm really happy with where I am now. Um, And I do feel like I learned things that I couldn't have learned another way. But I also don't think that everybody has to learn the same things in their life. We're all on our own kind of path. Totally. I would love to hear you reflect a little on watching... um, this sort of pop culture version of polyamory happen. You you touched on this a little bit earlier, but for people who are reading your book and may not want to open up their relationship, but are kind of curious about your story and about um, this sort of thing that's happening in culture, why do you think it's worth hearing about the experience, these experiences? What do you think is sort of like useful for people to be thinking about when it comes to this? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there are a few things. One is, um, I think part of the reason it's entering the zeitgeist now is that we're kind of questioning this binary thinking that has defined our culture for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the reckoning with gender is a big part of it. And I think we are coming to a place in society where we're not so locked into this idea that this is the way women behave. And this is the way men behave, because as it turns out, right, there are plenty of people in our lives, in my life in particular, right, who are trans or non-binary. And once you start seeing, oh, if that's possible, maybe I, as a quote unquote woman, Mm -hmm. don't have to fit into this image of the way women are supposed to behave, Mm -hmm. this idea that women aren't as sexual as men or things like that. So I think that's part of um, what I want to push back on is this idea that a good mother acts in this blank, you know, fill in the blank kind of way. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think there are things I just learned that are relevant to monogamous relationships. And I think this is why Dan Savage was among the first to talk about um, non-monogamy, because in queer communities, it's been 
accepted for a lot longer. Long time, yeah. And some of my gay friends that I've discussed this with have said, well, I think it's because we have to negotiate everything mm-hmm. in a marriage or a partnership. There is kind of a breaking of the mold at the get-go. Right. And I think it's time we break some of those molds in heterosexual marriages as well. Yeah, When you consciously make a decision together as a couple that, you know what, let's let's be monogamous. That's that's our commitment to each other. Great, right? right? I, I'm all for monogamy. I'm really not anti-monogamy. <laughs> but I think it should be a conscious decision rather than the default setting. Right, a passive. Yeah, yeah. right. Especially when it can, as you were saying, be very imbalanced in terms of who gets freedom in a relationship and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. The 2024 U.S. presidential election is in full swing, and I'm not going to lie, it's a lot. To help you make sense of the information overload, we're launching a new U.S. politics show. It's called Swamp Notes from the FT News Briefing, and it's hosted by me, Mark Filipino. Tune in every Saturday morning for insights from FT journalists and a global perspective on the election. Listen to Swamp Notes by following the FT News Briefing wherever you get your podcasts. I have a uh, question that you probably get all the time, and it's kind of a logistical question. No problem. Um, When I have been telling friends that um, I was going to interview you about polyamory and open marriages and open relationships, uh, one of the biggest questions that I kept getting over and over again is like, how do you find the time? Right, right. (laughs) Um, What's your take on this question? I mean, what I also often say when I get this question is, I didn't sleep much, right. but I wasn't sleeping much to begin with. And especially, mm. you know, motherhood is a real infinite job, too. So you can spend every second of every day fussing over your children. And the first few years of the open marriage, you'll, you, when you read it, you'll, it, it kind of comes up unexpectedly, but there is a time where you say, over the next four years, right? Mm-hmm, right. Um, there was a stretch where I wasn't actually sleeping with people all the time, mm-hmm. maybe a couple times a year right. for about four years there. Mm-hmm. Um, but just that little bit of freedom had large consequences for both me and my marriage. Mm -hmm. And so over time, as my kids got older, it became easier to make time for it. But I also think we make time for what we value. But yeah, I was tired. I was tired. I was going to be tired no matter what. My youngest stopped napping when he was three months old and barely ever slept. So it it was going to be a tiring time no matter what. Yeah. Can I ask, I know that one of the... um critiques of the book is that this is something that is really only for people who can afford it. Right. Um, how do you feel about that? No, I mean, it's it's a fair it's a fair critique of me. I do understand that I live in Park Slope. I am privileged. I did work, though, so I mm-hmm. want to make sure people know that. There is a couple years where I didn't, but other than that, I always have. Um, my parents, though, were both teachers living in the suburbs of Chicago, and they also had an open marriage. Mm-hmm. So they were very, you know, firmly middle class. So I don't think that's entirely fair to assume. Right. I also know of of people that um, are polyamorous in terms of like living in a 
you know, what's called a polycule, where it's maybe three or four adults living together with various configurations romantically. And that is a really great money saver, to be honest. (laughs) You know what I mean? When you have shared childcare and like one rent payment. Mm -hmm. So the way I was doing open marriage, sure, there were some hotels. If you read the book, though, you'll see not the greatest hotels. (laughs) Um, But it also takes money to live in New York and raise children here, period. Right. So, yeah, yeah. My last question, Molly, and thank you so much. Uh, what's next? <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. Well, um, I've I've got another book in me. The, the first draft of this book uh, really covered all the way through the end of the pandemic, but I was writing it as I was living it, which is never a good idea. Yeah. Um, there's another story that I want to tell that actually deals a lot with the other women that I was connected to through polyamory. There's a term called metamor. Um, Mm -hmm. That is my working title, so nobody else should (laughs) steal it. Um, You heard it here. I call it. Um, But a metamor is your partner's partner. And so the next story I want to tell takes place between 2018 and 2020. And there was a relationship I had that connected me to my partner at the time, his wife. And my husband was dating somebody that I became connected to. And it's a much larger story, but Mm. I wanted to explore those connections among women um, because I think that's the other hidden benefit of polyamory that I was not foreseeing either. I never wanted to meet anybody's part, you know, Mm -hmm. that seemed like, oh, I don't want to do that. Um, But I think it's kind of the next frontier for me to talk about um, connections among women. Yeah. Molly, thank you so much. This was so interesting. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Lila. That's the show. Thank you for listening to Life and Art from FT Weekend. Take a read through the show notes. We have relevant links and discounts for a subscription to the Financial Times. Great discounts. We also have ways to stay in touch with me and with the show, whether that's by email, on X, or on Instagram. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here's my incredible team. Katya Kumkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have a lovely week and we'll find each other again on Friday.